title of my sermon, It's All About Trust. It's all about trust. And we're looking at the first five verses of Psalm 16. Not so many, are there? We may as well just read them again here. I'm going to read from verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee. But to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight, their sorrow shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance, and of my cup thou maintainest my lot. There are aspects of this psalm, Psalm 16, that clearly apply to the Lord Jesus Christ, while other verses may apply apply to Jesus, they may apply to David, who wrote the psalm, or indeed any one of us, if we are trusting in Jesus. We shall look at this psalm primarily as it applies to the Lord Jesus Christ, but I will be making application to us as well. Looking again at verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. You see the first words there in verse 1, Preserve me, O God. Who would say that? Preserve me, O God. Well, when the Son of God became flesh, when Jesus was in the world, he was very much a man of prayer, often retreating alone to a mountain to pray, sometimes praying throughout the night to God, who in Job chapter 7 and verse 20 is described as the preserver of men and who had in the prophecy of Isaiah promised to preserve his son. For example, in Isaiah chapter 49 Verses 8 and 9, it is written, Thus says the Lord, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages, that you may say to the prisoners, Go forth to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. This is clearly about God preserving his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who who came into the world, he was appointed by his father to come into the world and to uh, say to the prisoners, go forth. Prisoners to sin. And to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. Those words of prophecy speak of the Lord Jesus Christ who is the mediator and the surety of the new covenant delivering helpless sinners from their bondage to sin. Jesus prayed, preserve me, O God. And an answer to prayer came when in his infancy Jesus was preserved or kept from the rage and the fury of King Herod who had issued orders to destroy 
all infants aged two and under. In the wilderness, Jesus was preserved when he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Throughout the Lord's earthly ministry, right up until the time had come for him to lay down his life as an atonement for sin, he was protected and he was preserved from those whose chief ambition it was to destroy him. Looking again at verse 1, it is written, For in thee do I put my trust. The Lord Jesus Christ, he never stopped trusting in God. Even when he hung upon the cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He still acknowledged God as his God when he said, My God. And just before he died, Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Very clearly, even in death, Jesus was trusting in God. If you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for for your salvation and for everlasting life, then you too are under God's protective care. And your heavenly father, he keeps you and he preserves you from evil. We've looked at this on Sunday mornings uh, when we looked at the high priestly prayer of Jesus, John chapter 17. And it's something that I'm going to mention again now. It's worth mentioning. God continuously preserves each one of you who belong to him. He preserves you. He keeps you from the evil. What evil? The evil that is in this world. Satan. How about Satan? The one who walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, Satan, he's obviously not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. But he's got his army of demons. And we can all see the effects of Satan being in this world of sin. This world in which he is God. The prince of this world. The prince prince of darkness. We need to be preserved. We need to be kept by God. Otherwise we would be devoured by Satan. We would be devoured by the people of this world. Whose lust it is to do is to do the will of their father. The devil. Who is a murderer and a liar. And the father of lies. What else do we need to be preserved and kept from? With me straight away, I would answer, I need to be protected, preserved, kept from myself. Every step of the way, from the moment of salvation to the moment I go to be with Jesus, I need God to watch over me. Because of the evil. You are being continuously preserved to the extent that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will most certainly keep you from falling and he will present you faultless before the presence of the glory of God with exceeding joy. That's only because of the grace of God um, preserving you, keeping you every moment of every day. We read in Hebrews chapter 1 how the Son of God, he upholds all things. 
Creation is upheld every moment of every day, every indivisible moment by the Son of God. Likewise, we too, Christians I'm talking about, are upheld and preserved continuously. Having been saved by the grace of God, we are kept by his grace. And it is only by the grace of God that one day we shall go to be with Jesus. Let's have a look at verse 2. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee. So we see in that verse, the first part of it, O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. Applying this again to the Lord Jesus Christ, primarily, From deep within his soul, he spoke words that declared a humble submission by him to his father's will, by virtue of the fact that he said, O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord. He's acknowledging the lordship of God. Submission there, there's submission in those words. And indeed, the son, he submitted to his father's will, didn't he? That can be seen very clearly in the New Testament, in so many different places, how Jesus submitted to his father. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said to his disciples, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That was food. For Jesus to do his father's will. In John chapter 6 verse 38 and 39. After Jesus had fed a multitude with five loaves of bread. And two small fishes he said. For I have come down from heaven. Not to do my own will. But the will of him who sent me. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, the day before his crucifixion, Jesus said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is when Jesus was sweating those great drops of blood and he was in agony of spirit. Not my will, but your will be done. Do you have a soul that is humbled before God, acknowledging his lordship and the lordship of his son, Jesus Christ? I'm a Christian. Of course I do. Think about it, though. In your life, do you really submit to the lordship of Jesus? It has to be more than words. Instinctively, you must realise that without even going into the theology without digging deep into the Bible, we all know how empty and meaningless words can be. The Bible tells us that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so if you have that testimony that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you really mean it, because again, they can just be words, but if you say Jesus Christ is Lord, and you mean that wholeheartedly, then that is the work of God, the Holy Spirit. 
because it goes against the grain of sinful human nature to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus. Sinful man is more comfortable waving his fist towards heaven and rebelling against God. So, if you say Jesus Christ is Lord, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in you. But those words must clearly proceed from a heart that truly believes that that God has raised Jesus from the dead. That they can't just be words. The Apostle Paul said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God have raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So those words have to come from a believing heart. Does it end there then? So, okay, I've said these things. I really think I believe it. I, I'm, I'm, Jesus Christ is Lord. I think it's coming from my heart. I don't think the journey starts from my mouth. I think the journey starts in a in my heart. Well, let's take it even further then. Those words would extend from a soul that is humbled before God. Again, the, the proof is in the how you live your life and your attitude of heart towards God. Because we can say things, but do they translate into lives that are consecrated to God? Uh, lives where we do in what we, how we live our lives with God's enabling grace. Do we really acknowledge his lordship? I'm not giving you the answer to that. I, 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 there's something for each one of us to work out for ourselves as we examine our own walk with the Lord are we acknowledging his lordship the lordship of Jesus David also said my goodness have a look at this psalm again Um, the second part of verse 2 look very carefully because this is where it gets a bit more tricky I think David also said my goodness extendeth not to thee but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. So reading from half halfway through verse 2 into verse 3. When you consider the translation that I've just given you there from the King James Bible, my goodness extendeth not to thee. That's what I've got as the second part of verse 2. Let's consider that translation for a moment. And apply them to Jesus, saying those words, My goodness extendeth not to thee. Jesus praying to his Father, saying these things to his Father, My goodness extendeth not to thee. Consider his coming down from heaven into this dark world of sin, making himself of no reputation, subjecting himself to the law. When you think about it, Jesus is the one who wrote that law in the first place as God. He subjected himself, submitted himself to the law. Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law. When you consider his perfect obedience to the law, 
when you consider him being cruelly treated by wicked men, when you consider his sacrificial death on the cross, perhaps you can see why Jesus might say to his father, my goodness extendeth not to thee. None of those things were done for the benefit or the necessity of God. But they most certainly were done for the eternal benefit of all who know Jesus as their Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee. All the things that I've listed there and much more besides when Jesus came into the world as a suffering servant, my goodness extends to you, me, all who trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins. As it is written in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. We are healed. The goodness of Jesus extending to us. Coming back to verse 2, let's have a look at it again. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee. Now, we can consider an alternative translation that can be found in many other Bible versions, not just one or two, but many of them. And it is along the lines of, My goodness is nothing apart from you. My goodness is nothing apart from you. If we consider that translation now, this is where I say it may, the, the psalm aspects of the psalm may apply to Jesus and they may apply to David and indeed us here today. And my goodness is nothing apart from you. Let's face it. None of us have any goodness whatsoever of our own. As the apostle Paul confessed, in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. This is the Apostle Paul, that great man of God. In me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. What that means is that you can only lay claim to possessing any goodness if it comes from God from the Son of God, who in Luke chapter 18 and verse 19 said, there is none good but God. This is the reality. The world doesn't like to hear these things, but blessed are you if you hear these things and you believe it. You recognise, well, yeah, this is me. In me, that is in my flesh, there is no good thing. And then you cast yourself upon the one who is good. Blessed are you if you have acknowledged not your own goodness, the way the world does and the way that the world encourages you to do. Instead, acknowledge your wretchedness and throw yourself at the mercy of God with his grace. If Jesus is your shepherd, then along with David, you can declare surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
the goodness of God, the mercy of God following you each and every day. Look at verse 3. But to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Those to whom the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ extends to are described as the saints and the excellent in whom is all his delight. Who do you think that is? The saints and the excellent in, in whom is all his delight. Well, if you followed me thus far, that's you and me if you are trusting in Jesus for forgiveness. And to you extends his goodness. You are a saint, where saint means um, set apart, holy and set apart. That's you as a Christian. You're holy and set apart. You're holy and without blame in God's sight, in love. As for being excellent, in whom is all his delight? Does that not speak of what? The great love of God that can be seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. For you to be called excellent, a hell-deserving sinner, me, a worm such as I, to be called excellent, in whom is all his delight? That speaks of the great love of God towards you. As the hymn writer said, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of thy love, leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above. That is a hymn, and those words are for the saints, the excellent, in whom is his delight. Looking at verses 4 and 5. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance, And of my cup, thou maintainest my lot. The Lord Jesus Christ, he had no desire whatsoever to hasten after another God. For example, after his baptism, he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And he was tempted by the God of this world, the devil, who showed him all the kingdoms of the world. The devil said to Jesus, all these things will I I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Even then, Jesus had no thought to fall down and worship Satan. He rebuked, rather he rebuked him with the words, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, God and him only shalt thou serve. Even during the Lord's darkest hour and deepest sorrow, when he was nailed to a wooden cross and lifted up to die, even then, as we've already considered, he cried out, my God, my God, crying up to heaven 
to the only true God, his Father. Looking at verse 5, the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. Those words belong to you if Jesus is your saviour from sin and if he is your Lord. When Jesus shall come with power and great glory with his legions of elect angels and he shall sit upon his throne of judgment, he will say to you, you who belong to him, you who are his excellent, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Take your inheritance. But what does it say in verse 5? The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance. There's a verse in Romans chapter 8 that speaks of the inheritance of God. And when you can look at that verse and you can say, well yeah, God is my inheritance. Ultimately, dear Christian, that is your inheritance. God. The Lord Jesus Christ. What else would you want? What else could you ask for? But even now, you think of receiving an inheritance later, but even now you have every good thing that you could possibly ever have. And that is because you have Jesus. Even before Jesus comes again, King Jesus, and he sits on his throne And he says those words to you. Come ye blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Right now. You already have every good gift. Every perfect gift. From above. And which cometh down from the father of lights. With whom there is no variableness. Neither shadow of turning. Every good gift. Every perfect gift. Right now, already your cup overflows with goodness and mercy. You are already blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not just, not some, not most, but all spiritual blessings are yours now. By his finished work of redemption, The Lord Jesus Christ has secured for you all the riches of God's grace now and forevermore. Of course, I am speaking to those who are the excellent in whom is his delight. Those to whom his goodness extends. Those who have trusted in him for the forgiveness of sins and everlasting bliss with him. Amen.